anchor our awareness, establish our mindfulness on whichever object we usually use, our usual, what do you call it, gamatana, so gama, kama, work, or activity, tana is like a basis or a place. So if we're used to working with our breath, or we're used to working with a particular subject or theme, at this time of day, then we can just go to that, whatever it may be. Because even though our topic of meditation or our object that we use you know, to rein our awareness in, to develop samadhi, or if it's in the area of contemplation and insight, you know, whatever it is, the object might stay the same over a long period of time, but it's more that we get more and more skillful with that object. We get more and more familiar with it. We get more and more adept and fluent at using it to get the mind to calm down, get the mind to get beyond the things that stop it from settling down, the five hindrances. It's not so much that the tool changes, but the person using the tool they get smarter with it, quicker with it, more skilled at using it. So I think Thich Nhat Hanh, a famous Vietnamese Dhamma teacher that most people know, he said he'd been watching his breath for 50 years, but still after all that time, it was only getting more and more interesting. So what's interesting or exciting or what gives more absorbing no more rewarding about meditation is not so much changing the method necessarily or changing the object. It's more the effect it has on the mind with consistency and repetitive training. We might have adaptions and modifications along the way, but really it's the results that should uh, give us a sense of reward or progress or change. So it's good to remember that sometimes you know, a meditation object is like an old friend, but you're traveling along the path, you know, hopefully making progress with that friend. Or like a tool, instrument, you know, that you get better and better at using you know, over time. You know. But it's not just the object, of course. We might be focusing on our breathing, inhalations and outhalations. Also, our just general state of mind. We bring something into the meditation. This is a bit more subtle. We might have a certain attitude or a certain type of desire or a wish or an aim. When we come to a monastery, when we sit down to meditate, at home in our meditation space is also something that we bring into our meditation practice the attitude we bring to it it's not just the object it's not all that's going on it's usually something going on in the background maybe on the emotional level but it's good to start sometimes now look look at how we start meditation. Look at what we bring to it you know, from the word go. So we've just done some devotional chanting. 
much more mainstream and much more familiar and much more normal in perhaps more traditional Buddhist cultures, especially India, the Asian countries. Not so popular perhaps for Western people or for people who are not familiar with actually taking part in a group practice, which is part of the institutional element of Buddhism or Dharma practice. But it's good just to reflect on what we're doing there. Even if we don't understand Pali or chanting isn't our favorite pastime or isn't our favorite part of the practice. But it is good sometimes just to start off with a bit of chanting you know, what these devotional practices are. There's kind of like a step up. The Buddha said that there's Amisa Puja, so there's a way of showing one's appreciation or doing devotional practice with objects, maybe candles and incense and flowers, gifts, offerings. But of course he said the higher form of Puja, or the higher form of devotional practice, is really to show devotion through one's own training, practice, development of meditation. It's the higher form of devotional practice, is Buddy Buddy Puja. So sometimes it's good to actually use this step up, a bit of Amisa Puja first, as a way of leading into the, say, the more essential or the deeper part of the practice, rather than just taking a leap from our usual perhaps scattered mind state just as a step up, stepping stone or like a way in. Because it can be very, meditation can be made much more easy, much more pleasant, much more of a smoother run if you bring a a good attitude towards it or if the mind is in a right, the right place to begin with and the heart is in a fairly peaceful, happy place to begin with. So if we just bring up, maybe we don't feel comfortable or uh, fully enthusiastic about you know, singing great praises of the founders of Buddhist religions and <laughs> sages and this sort of thing. But really what it is, is just first establishing a sense of appreciation, maybe gratitude for the fact that we have this opportunity and these teachings and this path was provided by the Buddha and his original circle of students and have passed it down and now it's made it all the way to us in the year 2020. It's come a long way for a long time. Now the candles and incense is coexisting with podcasts and iPads and all sorts of cross continental and global technology and we've still got the path we've still got this opportunity so sometimes it's nice just before we start meditation is just to bring up a sense of gratitude for that and a sense of respect for the past and the people who've walked the past before us and if that does bring up a sense of gratitude and the mind is already in a very good space, energy comes up, 
It's not forced energy. We're telling ourselves we should be better meditators. We should be more diligent. We should be able to sit for an hour, but we can't. It's just a natural desire to do the practice and a sense of gladness to do the practice, whatever the results are for today. If the mind has that sense of gladness, if it just naturally comes up from reflecting on the Buddha or the qualities of the Buddha, there is not like a devotional practice, like guru worship. It's more just a sense of, you know, he was a teacher with many great qualities and we're still benefiting from that. So we start off with a bit of devotional practice, reflecting on the triple gem, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, take the precepts, just to bring up some mindfulness around the value of virtue, morality, and then we get into our meditation. Let the mind settle down internally. And if there's thoughts, never mind. We just know them. Abandon them. Let them go. Come back to our meditation object. Yeah. And just keep re-establishing mindfulness. Just retaining something in mind. Not forcing the mind onto the object too tightly. Not squeezing it. Force-feeding it. Just keeping the breath in mind. Retaining the inhalations and the exhalations. Yeah. I'm trying to make that continuous. If there's breaks, there will be. We just draw the mind back. Keep taming it. This is kind of like a taming of an animal. Yeah. So it's a bit awkward and clumsy. You're sort of stumbling through it, but progress happens in the end if you keep at it. So... As long as we don't forget the breath completely, if it slips our grip, it's okay. But we just reconnect, bring it back, bring the mind back to the breath.
So again, mindfulness, awareness, sustained attention, the mind slipping into sleepiness or drowsiness or dreams, daydreaming. We just give it a tug, pull it back. Recollecting the meditation object, calling it back to mind. Different things can happen in meditation and all very normal, sometimes physical processes. Things happening in our body, natural processes. Our anatomy does things sometimes that we think is a problem in meditation. Maybe there's a distraction. Some little tiny thing that we don't even notice in our everyday life. But when we come to meditate, it becomes a problem. Really, it's not a problem. We just let the body do what it does. Our body, our organs, on the surface and deeper inside, it does things... It's not completely still. It's not a stone. So distractions that just come up, even within the context of our own body, we don't worry about them. But ultimately, we don't measure our progress in meditation in terms of nothing going on. These normal processes, we don't let them become distractions. You just let them do their work as they usually do. It's kind of like letting the body get on with what it does. Might have a few pains here, some itches there. Makes noises. We don't worry about that. Just we keep doing our work with our mind internally and the body does what it does. They make it into a problem. And the mind is naturally calm enough, collected enough. There's enough rapture and pity and sukha. There's enough stillness. The body will naturally be very, very still, very, very calm. But that's not something you can force or expect to happen too quickly. And the mind from the inside it comes down to a deeper level and the body will naturally become very still, very calm. But this is a result. We just keep on putting in the causes. And the results come by themselves. Now, when the causes are sufficient, yeah. 